Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it be tested by fire, might be found to praise and honour and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Whom having not seen you love, though now you do not see him, yet believing you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Of this salvation the prophets have inquired and searched carefully who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. To them it was revealed that, not to themselves but to us, they are ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Things which angels desire to look into. Things which angels desire to look into. Uh, those last few words that Peter wrote there at the end of that portion, uh, it would be so easy just to skip past that. But we would make a mistake if we did that because those seven words, things which angels desire to look into, are very profound. Things which angels desire to look into. Angels are powerful, magnificent, majestic creatures. And yet, there are things which they desire to look into. Angels are much wiser, far more intelligent than us. But yet, there are things which angels desire to look into. Angels walk the corridors of heaven. They see into the very throne room of Almighty God. And yet, still, there are things which they desire to look into. Angels are ministering spirits, the Bible says, sent forth to minister to those who are heirs of salvation, which is us. And yet, there are things which they desire to look into. Angels fly between heaven and earth as angelic messengers. And yet, there are things they desire to look into. With all of their wisdom, with all of their intelligence, with all of their power, with all of their access to the wonders of heaven, even to the throne room, even to the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And yet, in spite of all of that, at their disposal, there's still things which angels desire to look into. And Peter, in these few verses, gives us some clues of what they desire to look into. And I just want to share just a few of them today. First of all, in that 10 verses we read together, Peter mentions salvation three times, verses 5, 9, and 10. So our salvation in Christ, that's the first thing I want you to think about, the angels desire to look into. 
that the eternal Son of God, that he would leave the very throne of glory, that he would come to the sin-cursed earth, that he would come as a human being, that he would come in the limitations of a human body, that he would be born as a little helpless babe, born in a feeding truck in a stable in the little town of Bethlehem, not born into a palace, a royal palace, not even like Moses, who for the first 40 years of his life spent in the palace of an Egyptian princess, but in a humble little town and a very feeding trough wrapped in swaddling clothes that the creator of the ends of the earth would be wrapped in swaddling cloths and laid in a manger. That must have seemed incomprehensible to angels. They wondered. They looked into these things. And then they would watch him from boyhood to manhood. And to think that the creator of the ends of the earth would be working with his bare hands. He would be making tables and chairs for the community he lived in. I mean, that must have seemed just unreal for the angels to see this. That this is the creator. Look what he's doing. And then for 30 years, when just a handful of people on earth, just a handful, recognized that he was the Son of God. And every angel in heaven knew it. But only a handful on earth. Not even his brothers and sisters accepted that. But the angels knew that. No wonder they desired to look into these things. And then, of course, the last three and a half years, they must have looked in horror as the creatures, what they did to their creator. They must have been shocked to see how they lied about him and they slapped him and punched him and spat upon him and, 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 and cursed him and blasphemed him and did all of these things. And in the end, they crucified him on a Roman cross. They must have shook their heads in disbelief. Do they not know who this is? Do they not understand this is their Messiah? This is their Savior? Do they not get that? Did he not tell them? Did he not prove that to them with his signs and wonders and miracles? Can they not see that? Which things angels desire to look into? Ah, you may say, but did not the angel say to Joseph, you shall call his name Jesus? for he shall save his people from their sins. Yes, the angel did say that. But I don't think that angel or any angel in heaven fully understood the enormous cost, the enormous cost to the Son of God to be the Savior of the world. It's incredible. Angels desire to look into this. Yes, the prophets prophesied and even prophesied of his sufferings. And Isaiah 53 is probably the greatest example of that. And yet, having said that, I don't think any prophet, including Isaiah, or any angel in heaven could fully grasp the extent of what he had to go to in order to win us to himself, to save us from our sins, to be our savior. It's incredible. No wonder the angels desire to look into these things. Paul then, speaking about his apostleship, 
in verse 8 of 1 Corinthians chapter 4, it says, You are already full, you are already rich. You have reigned as kings without us, and indeed I could wish you did reign that we might also reign with you. For I think that God has displayed us, the apostles, last, as men condemned to death, for we have been made a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake. The word spectacle there means theater. We're like a play. <laughs> it's as if you're watching a play. You're the spectators. We're the actors in the play. And you're watching all what we're going through. He says, as if God kept us to last, uh, you know, to, to show uh, how we're condemned to death. And so Paul here is saying that we're a spectacle. We're a spectacle. Even the very angels wonder at these things. They desire to look into these things. In Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. Verse 8, Paul says, To me, who am, least, who, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Jesus Christ. Let me just read that again. And to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God who created all things through Jesus Christ to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. The mystery. There's a mystery that was hidden from the ages, that was even hidden from the prophets, that was hidden from the very angels, that was hidden from men. What was the mystery? The mystery was the church. The church. That's why Christ went to the cross, so that his church could be born out of his riven side. These things angels desire to look into. And it was a hidden mystery from the ages. And it was hidden from the ages. And it was hidden from the prophets it was hidden from the angels and it was hidden from men until finally for that moment when Christ gave birth to the church through his death on the cross and in and first Corinthians chapter 2 in first Corinthians chapter 2 In verse 6, However we speak wisdom among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor of the rulers of this age, who are coming to nothing. But note this, But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. The hidden wisdom of God ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew, for had they known, they would have not have crucified the Lord of glory. Did you see that? But had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Had the devil had known that when put Christ on the cross, that out of that would come the church, would come millions upon untold millions of followers of Jesus around the world for 2,000 years, he would never have got him put on the cross. But he didn't know that. It was a mystery hidden even from him. Had he had known that when he put Christ on the cross, as it were, had he had known what would have happened, that he was signing his own death warrant. He never had to put Christ on the cross, but it was hidden from. 
hidden from the demons, hidden from the devil, hidden from the angels, hidden from man, hidden from the authority, hidden from everybody from the ages past until that moment when Christ gave his life on that cross and shed his precious blood for us. Let me just read, you don't need to turn to this, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 to 12. I'll read this in the New Living Translation. This salvation was something the prophets wanted to know more about. They prophesied about this gracious salvation prepared for you. Even though they had many questions as to what it could all mean, they wondered that the Spirit of Christ within them was talking about when he told them in advance about Christ's suffering and his great glory afterwards. They wondered whether and to whom this would happen. They were told that these things would not happen during their lifetime, but many years later, during yours, and now this good news, this gospel, has been announced by those who preach to you in the power of the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. It is all so wonderful that even the angels are eagerly watching those things happen. <laughs> Do you know Isaiah in that great chapter 53? We believe as believers, speaking about our Lord Jesus Christ. But Jews don't believe that, obviously. They don't believe it's speaking about a Messiah. They believe it's speaking about their nation, the sufferings of their nation. Uh, and most Jews have not read Isaiah 53. It's not taught in the synagogues. It's ignored. And yet it's so plainly evident to us. And Isaiah talks about the suffering and he talks about the glory. But even Isaiah did not know and did not see that between the cross and the crown there came the church. That was hidden. Didn't know that, didn't see that. The disciples didn't know it either. For three and a half years they walked to Jesus and they didn't know what the cross was about. They didn't know by Jesus dying on the cross would bring forth the church. In fact, Peter says, this can't happen to you, basically. Lord, this can't happen to you. You see, because they were looking for a Jewish Messiah, for a Jewish kingdom and a Jewish Savior. But a suffering Savior to die upon a cross? The disciples just didn't get that. And it wasn't until Jesus literally died on the cross and shed his blood, rose again from the dead, met with them, then it began to dawn on them. And then on the day of Pentecost, when the church was officially born, could we say, then when they were filled with the Holy Ghost, then they began to see. And then it was when Paul came, and Paul was a theologian to the church at that time, and when he spent all that time with Christ, then they could begin to see what was hidden from the ages. Which things the angels desire to look into so the first thing is our salvation in Christ and if they desire to look into that should we not desire to look into it should that not get our full attention and then our faith our faith in Christ our faith in Christ four times in these ten verses five seven eight and nine Peter talks about faith and believing faith and believing your faith is so, so important. It really is such a precious thing, your faith, that God has given to you. In verses 6 to 9, let me read again from First Peter. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, but the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it be tested by fire, might be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation or the appearing of Jesus Christ. Though it be tested with fire, 
Now, Peter may be alluding to something here because he's speaking to the church that are scattered abroad. And Peter here is writing at this time of Nero. We mentioned a little bit about Nero last week. That cruel despot. And how that he persecuted the church. And part of that was in his garden parties at night, he would impale Christians on stakes and throw pitch over them and set them on fire while they're still alive. That's how wicked and evil and cruel this man was. Tested by fire. So maybe Peter's alluding to some of that and he's writing here. Being tested to the nth degree or faith being tested to the nth degree. Why? For the same reason that gold is put into the fire so all impurities will leave only the pure gold. So that our faith may be as pure gold. Whom having not seen you love, though now you do not see him, yet believing you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. This is something the angels look into, our faith. We who have never seen him, we who have never met him in the flesh, we who probably never even had a vision of him, and yet we're so blessed because we have faith to believe that which we have not seen with our eyes. We walk by faith, not by sight, the Bible says. That, see the angels, no angel has ever been tested with fire. No angel has ever been persecuted. No angel ever had to believe how faith in, in Jesus was alive because from the foundation of the world, they were there. They were created beings with the Son of God. They were with the Creator. They didn't need any faith to believe that, but we do. We do. And that is something that must delight the angels to see our Faith. In Hebrews 11, of course, this is a great faith chapter, isn't it? Now faith is the substance of things, hope for the evidence of things not seen, for by it the elders obtained a good testimony. By faith we understand that the words were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. We live in a very unbelieving, skeptical, cynical world who would rather believe in a mechanistic, naturalistic world that came about by perchance, that came about by luck, that just happened to be. That's what they believe, rather than the Word of God. Rather than believe this truth that we believe. And it takes faith to believe this. It takes faith to believe it. Yes, you can say there's evidence all around, and there is, but... They see the same evidence, but they don't believe it. But we do, and we do it by faith because we trust God's word more than their word. We trust God's word by faith. And then it says in verse 6, of course, but without faith it is impossible to please him for he who comes to God must believe that he is, that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Your faith is so important to God. And to you. You remember Jesus speaking to Peter. And he says, Simon, Simon, Satan has desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith fail not. 
sift you as wheat. You know, the process in those days was winnowing. Uh, and the chaff and the wheat, when it was gathered together, it would come together and it would be in a pile. And then the farmer would get his winnowing fork and he would stick it into the pile and he would throw it up in the air. And the wind would blow through that and all the chaff would be blown away and only the good wheat would be left. Only the grains would be left. And the Holy Spirit comes into our lives and blows through our lives and blows the chaff out of our lives and leaves only the good grain, the finest of the wheat. But when Satan comes to sift us, it's for the opposite. It's to blow out of our lives the good stuff and leave only the chaff, the useless, unfruitful stuff. Jesus said to Simon, Satan has desired to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith does not fail. I know you're going to fail, Peter. In fact, he told him how he was going to fail and when he was going to fail. Told him, even though Peter didn't believe it. But he says, nonetheless, after the sifting, your faith will still remain. And it did. It did. Even though he failed miserably and terribly, didn't he? But deep down in that inner belief, that core belief that Jesus is the Son of God, that still remained and after the resurrection, and Jesus on that seashore brought Peter back into the fold again. And Peter became, Peter became that mighty man of God, that wonderful evangelist that won thousands to Christ. See, your faith is important. We have never seen Christ. We weren't there at the resurrection. We never saw the resurrected Christ. We weren't there on the day of ascension, seeing and going up. We didn't touch him or feel or handle him or speak to him. But we walk by faith, not by sight. And that pleases the heart of God and it makes the angels wonder because they never had to do this. They never had to do this. We have a faith that angels doesn't have. Do you realize that? You have a faith that not even an angel in heaven has because they don't need it. They can see. We can't see. But we trust Remember in John chapter 20 how that, that resurrection Sunday night, that first resurrection Sunday night, how 10 of those disciples were in that room. Judas had committed suicide. Thomas wasn't there, but the other 10 were. And how Jesus just appeared in the middle of the room. No door was open. He just walked right in, just through walls and everything. And said, peace be unto you. But Thomas wasn't there. And then when they told Thomas, he says, well, I, 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 listen, un, until I put my finger in the prints of his hands, I will not believe. And then the following Sunday night, he was there with the other ten. And Jesus appeared again. Verse 26. And after eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas with them. And Jesus came, the doors being shut, stood in the midst and said, peace to you. Then he said to Thomas, reach your finger here. Look at my hands and reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said, my Lord and my God. Now he could see with his eyes. He didn't even have to touch. He could just see him, hear him, standing right before him. But notice, Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. 
Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. That's us. We're more blessed than Thomas ever was. Say, well, it'd be lovely to actually be there and see him. Yes, it was. Of course it would. But we're more blessed than any of them because we believe this by faith and that pleases the great heart of God. It really does. And it mystifies the angels because they don't need faith for any of this. But we do. These things angels desire to look into. And then the final thing. Not only is it a mystery to them, our faith in Christ, but I think this goes way up to the top of their list of things they desire to look into, is Christ's faith in us. (laughs) His faith in us. That Christ would have faith in us. They must have shook their heads in disbelief after the resurrection, when Jesus gathered around himself again, the same self-disciples who failed him miserably, publicly, terribly. And yet, in spite of that, Jesus goes out and he embraces them. He has faith in them. He's trusting them for what? To carry on his mission on earth. That's what he's doing. He knows he's going. They don't think at that point he is. But he knows he is, and he did. Forty days later, he did. But he left them, that bunch of failures. And they were. They all failed him terribly. But he had faith in them. He had trust in them that they would do the job. There's an old legend. I know it's a hackneyed story, but it's worth repeating. An old legend. Uh, that when Jesus ascended and went back to heaven, the angels met him. And they said to him, Master, who is going to continue your work on earth? Who's going to go out into the world and share your good news? And he said, my disciples. And allegedly they said, but Master, they failed you. What if they failed you again? What if you take the risk and they fail you again? What are you going to do? What other plans have you got? And allegedly Jesus said, I have no other plans. I have no other plans. That's it. And he doesn't have any other plans. There is no plan B. We're it. Every generation of believers is it. We're the ones he's counting on, depending on, to go out and to spread his good news, to tell others about his gospel. He doesn't have, he's not going to send angels to do this. He's sending us. We who have failed him many times. Haven't you failed him? I have. But he still trusts us. He still believes in us to go out and to share his gospel. And he empowers us to do it. He gives us his Holy Spirit to be able to do this for his sake. Not just us and ourselves, but his spirit in us. He trusts us to do this for his honor and for his glory. This must be a mystery to the angels. Such things they desire to look into. Behold what manner of love. (laughs) Behold what manner of love. Imagine John, 1 John 3 and 1. That we, we should be called the sons of God. Behold, look with wonder and amazement that means. Be surprised, be shocked even. 
And it is a shock and a surprise that we should be called the sons of God. We have failed him so many times. So our faith in him is something that the angels desire to look into. The word look here is important. It's parakupto. Parakupto. From para, which means beside. The Holy Spirit is the paraclete, the one called alongside to help. Kupto means to bend, to step over, to peer into. The image of somebody bending over, looking into. Like a scientist bending over and looking into his microscope and seeing the wonders of what he's looking at and trying to figure it all out. What is this? Or, or like a botanist who bends over and looks down at a flower and he's wondering at the, the stamen and he's wondering about the petal and he's looking into that and he's wondering about it. You see, or, or a parent. Imagine you parents, they've just got their little baby and they're looking into the crib and they're wondering. It's a miracle. It's a mystery. That's bone of our bone. That's flesh of our flesh. How does that happen? How does God knit that all together? It's a mystery, isn't it? It's a miracle. And there's a fascination and there's a wonder and there's a mystery to the angels about our salvation about our faith in Christ, about his faith in us, which things angels desire to look into. You remember in the Old Testament in the tabernacle and then later on in the temple, the Ark of the Covenant and the lid on it was a slab of pure gold. And on that golden lid there was two golden cherubim carved out of gold. And the Bible describes them standing and they're standing with their wings stretched out, touching each other's wings, but they're looking down. And they're looking down in the mercy seat. The mercy seat's the place of atonement. It's the place where the blood was sprinkled. It's speaking of the cross. It's speaking of Christ's blood shed for us. And those cherubim are looking down. It's a mystery. It's a wonder. They're amazed. Should we not be amazed? Should we not wonder? Should we not say, Lord, I, I, I don't understand how you could possibly could love me and save me and trust me to serve you? Such things angels desire to look into. The Apostle Paul, and we're nearly finished, the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 3, after 30 years, of walking with Christ, meeting him in the Damascus Road, spending time with him in the Arabian Desert for three years, getting revelation from him, caught up into the third heaven, seeing things that he wasn't even allowed to tell another human being, right in two-thirds of the New Testament. After 30 years of that, he cries, Oh, that I might know him. I don't know all there is about him, he's saying. I know a lot, but I don't know everything. I wish I did, but I don't. And the wonderful thing about your Christian faith is no matter how long you walk with the Lord and how much you serve him, you still don't know everything there is to know. In fact, it's going to take all of eternity for us to find out more and more and more and more about Christ. Not even the angels know everything. <laughs> Not even they know everything. 
Matthew chapter 24, Jesus is sharing with his disciples about end time events, things that are going to happen at the end. And they said, Lord, when will the end come? Tell us, when is it going to come? You know what he said? He said, no man knows. Not even the angels in heaven know. Only my Father. See, angels doesn't know everything. Not even the angels in heaven. You know, there's people who prophesy and they write books and they say, well, Christ is going to come at a certain time. You've had people over the years, I've heard them and seen them, Christ is going to come in a certain month, in a certain year, a certain day, and then that doesn't happen, then they project it a little bit further, and they go on and go on. It's just baloney. It's nonsense. Not even the angels in heaven know. There's signs, and we know it's getting close, but we don't know the day or the hour. That's why we've got to be ready for his coming. <sighs> Let me finish with this statement. A.T. Pearson, a great old preacher of old, he said, however poor a preacher, I can preach the gospel better than Gabriel can. Because Gabriel cannot say what I can say, I am a sinner saved by grace. <laughs> Not one angel in heaven can say I'm a sinner saved by grace. You know, that's a wonderful badge to wear. To say, listen, I am a sinner, but I'm saved by grace. Glory to God. Not even the angels can say that. They can't sing the same songs that we can sing about our salvation. They can't, but we can. Such things angels desire to look into. And I'm sure there's more. If you look, there'll be more. But we should look into these things. We should be amazed. We should be in awe of what God has done for us as human beings, as sinful creatures. And yet in his mercy, he saved us. We're washed in the blood of the Lamb. Our names are in the book of life. Isn't that wonderful? What about you today who's watching? Are you amazed? Are you astounded? Are you wondering? Are you like the angels who's looking into these things? I would encourage you to do that. Even if you're not a believer, get a New Testament. Open to the gospel of any of the gospels, the gospel of John, say, the first gospel, to read that speaks about Christ intimately. And read that gospel. And be amazed at what you will find, the truth of God's word. And receive Christ as your savior. And then for the rest of your life, you'll be in wonder and awe of what Christ has done through his grace in your life. Let's pray. Lord, we just stop and we give you thanks for your precious word. Help us to see more in it. Help it to be that light onto our path and a lamp onto our feet. Open unto us the wonderful things from your law. And may we be amazed and astounded at what we read and what we see and what we understand now of your grace and your love and your mercy to us. Thank you for the gift of life that you have imparted Thank you for this new life in Christ. For our names being in the book of life today, we thank you. Bless us, Lord, as we part today. I pray for those who are watching online. We ask, Lord, that your favor and blessing will be upon them, whatever they are, whatever they're doing. Lord, that your hand of protection will be in their lives. In Jesus' name. And all those people said, Amen.